Our text this morning is Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at the subject, the joy of renewal. And this is part one, and part two will be next week. You'll notice in your bulletin outline that the creation awaits liberation from corruption and decay. May I say that the sin of Adam and Eve affected more than themselves and more than their posterity. They were cursed by God for their sin, but so was all of creation. Let me read it for you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. You see how it's worded? <coughs> Cursed is creation because of you. And then he goes on. Through painful toil. Ah, this is something new. Through painful toil... You will eat of it from the ground all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Genesis 3, verses 17 and following. This is Paul's analysis in our text, verse 20. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Romans 8, 20 through 22. Adam and Eve lived an agrarian lifestyle. That is to say, they planted crops, they groomed fruit trees, things of that nature, all to provide food for themselves and eventually for their family. Well, the curse changed all this. Suddenly, life in Eden ended and our first parents were expelled into a hostile environment. The scripture says, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, the angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis 3, verse 23 and 24. In a conversation within the Trinity, God gives us his reason for this. Here's what he says. The Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Genesis 3, verse 22. The tree of life was the second of two specially designated trees within Eden. 
The only prohibition I can find that God gave to Adam and Eve was to abstain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2 verse 17 says it this way. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but, but what? That only exception, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not to eat from that tree. And yet Satan successfully convinced them that if they ate of it, they would know as God knows. In other words, they would become like God. Well, they disobeyed God. They ate. They became sinners. And guess what? They became like Satan, not like God at all. In other words, they lost. They didn't gain. Now with that failure, with that failure, a second prohibition kicked in. And that is, they must not eat of the tree of life and live forever. Forever, that is, locked into a state of sin. Forever locked into a state of rebellion against God. They were therefore expelled from Eden, and warrior angels with a sword were posted by the tree of life, lest they try to sneak in, or anyone, and eat from it. This is grace on God's part, to kick them out and bar them from ever returning to the Garden of Eden. It makes them savable. They're not locked into death forever because a Savior is coming that will emancipate them. Now as noted earlier, the environment changed radically. Thorns, thistles, hard plowing, but also anything that would cause painful toil to scratch out a living from the ground. Bugs, mildew, pests like locusts and so on. Viruses that eat or destroy vegetation. Disease, danger to life and limb. All of that occurred in the curse. The animal kingdom became hostile and dangerous, not only to one another, but to mankind. The text in Isaiah 11, which we read last week, says that at the renewal, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Well, when have, when have we ever seen that? The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them. Really? A little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11 verses 6 through 9. Well, that's yet to come, but it's not here and now. What's here now is what Adam and Eve experienced as a result of the curse. This Isaiah text is a restoration text, to be sure. But that is also, what it also does is to remind us of a world without sin. The Garden of Eden, before the creation, was cursed by God for Adam and Eve's willful disobedience. 
It's restoration. It's coming back to what once was. We don't know what that world was like. We've never been in that world. In Paul's day, as he's writing here in our text in Romans 8, this restoration has not happened yet either. And historically, there has been plenty of evidence that creation has been and is groaning under the weight of God's curse. Got a lot of evidence of that. When David gave evidence to King Saul that he, a boy, was capable of going up against the giant Goliath, this is what he said. He's talking to King Saul. Your servant, he's talking about himself, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. Okay, I have a question. Why would a lion or a bear come into a sheepfold? Well, because they no longer eat straw like an ox. They are carnivorous now. They have to eat meat. That's changed, you see, as a result of the curse. Oh, it doesn't stop there. We read, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking up the road, some youths came out of the town, and they jeered at him. Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head, they said. They were mocking him because Elijah, his predecessor, had been carried up into heaven in a whirlwind, and that was all known abroad. So he turned around and looked at them, and he called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. 2 Kings 2, verse 23 and 24. Now God, or Elisha didn't call for the bears. He called for a curse from God. And God sent the bears. But the fact that the bears would maul or attack 42 people shows their ferocious neighbor, na nature. And by the way, the word for use here doesn't mean little kids. It means young adults. So they knew what they were doing. Just like two terrorist bombers in Boston knew what they were doing. And God says, by these bears, don't mess with my prophets. Samson, strongest man that ever lived. Samson went out to Timnah, we read. And suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother, what had happened? Judges 14, verse 5 and 6. The animal kingdom, then and now, either wild or domesticated, is not to be given unquestionable trust by mankind. Why? Because the wild in them is the result of God's curse. I was watching last night a um, National Geographic uh, expose 
on saltwater crocodiles. That is something you do not want to encounter in the wild. Saltwater crocs can grow up to 25 feet long. And they take down, listen to this, they take down whole zebras and wildebeests. They're standing along the shore drinking and those crocs come right out of the water, lunge for their throat. And so the wild is the curse of God. Israel was warned by God that if they continue to disobey him, I'm reading scripture, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. Deuteronomy 28, verse 22. God has control of all of these things, but he uses creation to bring judgment. Verse 38 of the same chapter, Deuteronomy 28. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards, cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the olives will drop off. They will abort. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. Deuteronomy 28, verse 38 through 42. No wonder then that Paul says in our text, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth Right up to the present time. Verse 22 of our text. Yeah, it's been groaning. It's all a result of that first sin and that curse that God gave way back in Eden. Oh, but creation is also doing something else. Look at verse 19 of our text. The creation waits in eager expectation. For what? For the sons of God to be revealed. Okay, what is creation's hope or confidence in that? Verse 21. That the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Oh, that's what they're looking for. What glorious freedom? Verse 23. Our adoption as sons the redemption, the redemption of our bodies. You see, the judgment day of which we spoke last week, when analyzing Jesus' account of the shepherd who separates his sheep from the goats, part of that judgment is our redemption. Our redemption as believers. Let me read it for you. Matthew 25, verse 46. Then they, the goats and the unbelievers, will go away to eternal punishment, but, but, the righteous to eternal life. So what we have here in Christ's coming is judgment day for the wicked and redemption day for the righteous. Jesus put it this way. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up, and lift up your heads, that is, look to heaven, because your redemption is drawing near. 
Luke 21, verse 27 and 28. When you see these things happening, guess what? Redemption day is right. Boy, it's right there at the threshold. Will you be ready? Will you be prepared? Now the concept of redemption is that of buying back something that has been forfeited or lost. The Greek term indicates freedom resulting from making a ransom payment. Something's been lost or held in bondage. You make a payment and they're released. Sin, Satan, and the world all sink their teeth into us and they hold us fast, refusing to let us go to become the sheep of God's pasture as he has ordained. Satan held the keys of death, the scripture says. Sin leveled the indictment. The wages of sin is death. That's what you get for being a sinner. And the world provides the playground where sin is advocated and promoted. This trilogy, Sin, Satan, and the World, is far too strong for any mortal to break free. And yet our text talks about the glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 21. How does that happen? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I'm reading scripture. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ paid the penalty of our sin if we're believers in Him. That sin that holds us that gives ammunition to the evil one, Satan, who's called the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. Takes the wind out of his sails, so to speak, because of the work of Christ. Galatians 3, verse 13. Peter explains the unique nature of this payment. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's why it's so powerful. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. Now you'll notice then both of these texts talk of redemption as a done deal. Paul says, Christ redeemed us. Redeemed Past tense. Peter says, you were redeemed, not with silver and gold, but with the precious. Past tense. But there's yet a future aspect of redemption, which is yet to be completed. And that's in our text, verse 23. The redemption of our bodies. Redemption of our bodies. If you're dead and buried, that means resurrection at the coming of Christ. New body like an unto his. When you're alive and well at his coming, we still need to be changed. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. And it is this latter transformation that all of creation awaits. Because when we are renewed, the curse will end. And creation will be liberated as well. Wow, what an event. Think about this. 
curses have to do with sin. You're going to get a curse removed and decay removed. Decay has to do with sin. Corruption has to do with sin. All of creation is saying in anticipation, Come, Lord Jesus. Come for your people. Redeem them. Do this final leg of the journey. And when that's done, whew, we are going to be liberated as well. Now, more on that as we go along. Secondly, in your bulletin outline, notice, this is renewal, not brand new. In our meditation reading this morning, Matthew 19, verse 28, words it this way. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now this Greek word for renewal, he realized that the New Testament was written in Greek. So what you have in front of you is a translation from Greek into English. That's why I refer to the Greek. But this Greek word for renewal is a compound word, palygenesia. Genesis, life, you know. So we use that word today. Pali means again, and genesia means to generate. So you put them together. you got a compound word here. To generate or enliven again. That's what the word means. King James Version translates regeneration, which is the word that the Bible uses when it's talking about making people alive spiritually who are dead in trespasses and sins. We say people have to be regenerated. That's, this is the word. But here Christ is using it with regard to all of creation. When used, as it is in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says it will be the renewal of all things. It indicates the restoration of things to their pristine state before sin spoiled creation. When we think of it, even in the spiritual realm of the soul's regeneration, God's original Declaration concerning the creation of Adam comes to mind. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. King James Version, Genesis 2, verse 7. And when we couple this with God's warning about the forbidden tree, we are told, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you eat of it, you will surely die. Oh. living soul, die. Genesis 2, verse 17. Well, we know that Adam and Eve did eventually die physically as a result of their disobedience, but that was not the worst of it. The worst of it was what Paul says of all people, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2, verse 1. That's a different kind of death. And it's more horrendous. Speaks of the licentious woman as being dead while she lives. Dead because she's living in sin, you see. And the wages of sin is death. And Paul then proceeds to explain what God did to rectify this curse. 
Here's what he writes to Colossians. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Colossians 2 verse 13. This is the restoration of the soul to life in God, which it lost because of the curse. You shall surely die. That happened instantly. And as they came to faith, trust in Christ and repentance of their sins, God sent His Spirit and made people alive. Now, when we come to our text, we learn that all of creation lives in anticipation of liberation from the bondage of decay, verse 21. The decay, may I say, of the curse. Jesus taught that a renewal is coming, a regeneration is coming, a return to life as it once was before sin spoiled everything. Well, you can be sure. I'm looking forward to that. Creation is looking forward to that. You say, what about all those Old Testament texts that talk about the mountains disappearing, the sun refusing to shine, the stars falling to the earth, the moon turning to blood, which, by the way, is not, it's talking about the color blood turning to red, the sky being rolled up like a scroll. What about all those scriptures? That sounds pretty radical stuff. Oh, what about 2 Peter 3, verse 10 and following? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Remember that um, the first sin was not committed by Adam and Eve. The first sin was committed by Satan when he was known as Lucifer, star of the morning, sinned in rebellion against God in heaven and was expelled from heaven to this realm. The earth realm. Now, the initial reading of this sounds like, it sounds like, everything reminiscent of the heavens and the earth as we know them are gone and something brand new replaces them. But this is not the case. The Greek language has two main words for new. One word means new in the sense of refurbished. It's the Greek word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. New in character. This is the word we have in, second, in the Second Peter text. New heaven, new earth. New in character. They have another Greek word from which we get our word new, and that is the Greek word new, newos, and that means brand new. Brand, brand spanking new. Not there before. But Peter doesn't use that word. He uses the word refurbished. So Peter is in agreement with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19, 
verse 28, in which he promises the renewal or the regeneration of all things at his second coming. Now, before we get all bent out of shape about this, we use the word new in this way as well. We don't, the, the Greeks were very precise, so they had a totally different word to explain this, translated new. We don't have a separate word. We just go by context to tell the person listening to us what we mean by new. What we mean by new. For example, I can talk to you about a new car. I can talk about it in the sense of being replaced by a used automobile that has 50,000 miles on it. And I can say, or the person can say to me, I see you got a new car. Now, they don't mean a brand new car, but they mean new to me. It's a new car to me. Or, you all know I had lots of car trouble coming back from Rochester. Had to be towed from Ontario, from London, Ontario to Sarnia, and then from Sarnia with a, an American guy to bring us into Lapeer. And I can say to you, after all the repairs, my car is sitting out here under its tree, it's, it's a new vehicle. See how I'm using the word new? I don't mean brand new, and I don't even mean used. I mean refurbished. It's back to where it needs to be as a vehicle with no broken wheel anymore and broken frame and so forth. Or, thirdly, I can use the word new to mean brand new. Brand new. Oh, I see you got a new car. Yeah, it's a 2013 Chevy, whatever. So we use the word new in these multiple ways as well, but we depend on context to explain to the listener what we mean by new. God uses the word, a special word in the Greek language, new in the sense of to refurbish, to regenerate, renewal. And this is what he means. And you know, when you think about this, this is what God delights to do. He delights to take what sin has spoiled and ruined and which seems to be irreparable and then remake it, restore it to its original design. Consider the great flood. Think about that. It is spoken of in the Bible in the most destructive of terms. Water ascending over the highest mountains. All creatures containing the breath of life perished. Upheaval occurred in the mountains and in the deep. The earth mass was divided into the various continents as we know them. Africa, North America, South America, Europe. You want to read about that? Genesis 10 verse 25 talks about the division of the continents in association with the fog. Tremendous, mind-boggling changes. But all this newness is not brand new. Though it is definitely new in character. The instrument that God uses in the final renewal of heaven and earth is not water, but fire. Peter refers to the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements melting 
in the heat. Fire, even more than a flood, has the ability to purge, to clean. Think about it. Before surgical skills, gaping wounds were cauterized with hot irons to seal the skin and prevent infection. Farmers are known to deliberately, deliberately set their fields on fire to kill the weed seeds and make way for the planting and the propagation of food seeds. So they purge the land and get it ready for something really good to grow. Think of hell's fires of which Peter writes, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. 2 Peter 3, verse 7. Our text last week, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41. And Jude writes, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Verse 7 of the book of Jude. Eternal fire, said twice in Scripture. Eternal fire. May I say that the lack of quenching for this fire is God's forever containment of what is evil and sinful so that it will not raise its ugly head again to ever ruin the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And when you read something like it, it's fearfully awesome. Wow. Satan will never again spoil the new heaven and the new earth. Now that brings us then to the joy of a renewed earth. What joy? Well, number one, hallelujah, sin no more pollutes our world. Malachi writes it this way. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. You know that real caustic soap that really We used to say, Mom, Mom used to say, Fell's naphtha will get rid of that poison ivy on your skin. And we got scrubbed in Fell's naphtha when we were out playing in the poison ivy patch. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable, acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. It's restoration. It's renewal that's going on. He goes on, so I will come near to you for judgment. And here's, here's the renewal. I, be, I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice and do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi 3, 1 through 5. You see the renewal there? 
It's not just the physical accoutrements of our world, you know, weeds and pests and, and animals. And I'm going to read some texts on that too. But you see what he's weeding out? You see what he's getting rid of? He's going to bring judgment on sinners, sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and so on down through the text. That's the refiner's fire. John gives his vision. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And by the way, that's that word, kainos again, new in terms of renewal. I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But, but, here it is, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Revelation 21, verses 5 through 8. Again, the refiner's fire, purging. Not just the physical accoutrements of our world, but purging our society of all that is sinful. And now we know what Jesus meant when he said, the field is the world, when he was explaining the parable of the weeds. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has an ear. Listen up. Let him hear. Matthew 13, verses 38 through verse 43. The renewal, renewal, brethren, part of the renewal is that sin will be no more. Sin will not be polluting the new heaven and the new earth. And when you think about all the ills that we have to face in this life, it harks right back to S-I-N. Disobedience to God and God's curse. Wow. Secondly, not only will there be no more sin, but creation itself is restored to its pristine purity. No more wild animals. No more toxic environment. The EPA will be out of business. Yay. <laughs> I, I guess they do a good work, but I think they really overstep their bounds lots of times. No more disease. No more blight on your crops. No more creatures that act as pests. Notice how I said that. That act as pests. I don't know if there, there will be locusts or mosquitoes or vermin or germs or whatever. I don't know if they're all going to be around in the new heaven and the new earth. But they won't be acting as pests if they are around. We'll be in complete harmony with them. We read it earlier. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child, a little child will lead them. 
The cow will feed with the bear. Well, you won't hear that. Their young will lie down together. You take your newborn baby and let it go play with the bear cubs. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. Oh, wow. That's surely to get him bit, right? No, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as, of the, Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. Wow. Ezekiel writes it this way. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now this is not David the king that lived back in the Old Testament times and then died. This is David's heir, yet David's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will put over them one shepherd, my servant David, Christ, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounded by surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. That's where that um, hymn comes. There will be showers of blessing. It's taken from this phrase. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. Say, so, well, wait a minute. What about the thorns, the thistles, and all that? Let's read on. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will, no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. And they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Ezekiel 34, 23 through 29. It's a, it's a text on restoration. It's a coming day. Hosea writes, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Notice the intimacy here. You don't, won't call me master anymore. You'll call me my husband. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice in love. In compassion, I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, and the new wine, and the new oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. 
I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, yeah, and you are my God. Hallelujah. There's no earth like that now. It's in the works though, Hosea 2, verse 16 through 23. It's coming, folks. Here's John's vision in the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. They sang a new song. Wow. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. They're talking to Jesus here. You were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. The new earth. Revelation 5 verse 9 and 10. Now where are all of you in reference to this? Are you anticipating the coming of Christ? Firstly, let me ask, do you know Christ as Savior? See, these texts sound very um, inclusive, don't they? He died for men. He redeemed men and so forth. And so there are people who think, well, yeah, that's what we have Jesus for. He, just, he died for our sins, so we're going to go to heaven. No, there's people who reject Christ. There's people who have, no, have nothing to do with Christ. They love their sin more than Christ. Because the gospel says, repent and believe. It doesn't just say believe. But you have to turn away from your sin. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And accept his cross work for you. And if you do that, and when you do that, you have a calling now. And that calling is to a new life of righteousness and holiness. As best God's spirit enables you to live. So the former things have to be, it's renewal, spiritual renewal. The former things, Peter says, has to go. You used to live that way, but not anymore. And without that transformation, without that renewal of spirit, that which was dead in trespasses and sin, made alive by the Spirit of God, if that renewal is not part of your life, guess what? You are not part of the kingdom of God. And God is yet laboring and pleading with you to come to Him, to repent and to believe. Now while the scripture talks about God not being willing that any should perish, we know from all those other scriptures that I was reading this morning, there will be a lot that do perish. And when they perish, when they perish, it's not a matter of if, it's when. When they perish, it will be their own fault. It'll be their own fault. Why? Because in this country at least, the gospel's disseminated all over the place. And there's opportunity to hear God's word, to believe it, and to respond. You can read it in the Bible but for yourself. You can listen to gospel preaching. I pray 
that everyone here will be found in the day of Christ's coming to be those that are anticipating his coming, like all of creation, waiting for the day of redemption. If that's not your case, it can be today through repentance and faith. Lord, grant to us, grant any here that are outside of your grace, grant them the faith they don't have <clears throat> and the revoking of the sin in their life that they don't want to do. Oh, Lord, come by thy Spirit and make us children of God, children of the Spirit. Renew us. We need the refiner's fire to come in and purge us from everything that's sinful. Make us new, brand new, renewed in Jesus. Oh, Lord, please do that for us. We won't do it for ourselves. We can't do it for ourselves, but your spirit can do it. And that's our prayer. Thank you for each one that's here today. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the promise of renewal, that, that what we see and experience now won't be here forever. Oh, Lord, send that blessed day. I know it has to do with your coming, so even come. So, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.